Amen. Amen. You know, it's good as I look around to, to see each of you that are here this morning. Um, I appreciate you being here uh, to, to come and worship our Savior and Lord. You know, we've, we've had uh, some crazy things uh, in our nation. And uh, I'm surprised that, um, you know, more churches aren't packed uh, praying over the concern for, for our nation and for the things that we see going on in our country. Um, this morning, I want to continue on, and we've got a, a long way to go and a short time to get there. Um, but I want to in, encourage you uh, this morning, you know, we're all leaders, and we all lead in many different ways. We lead in our families, we lead in our, in our homes, we lead in our work, we lead everywhere we go. Hopefully, we're leading others and, and pointing them toward Jesus. But I, I want to give you this vision that we have uh, out of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, it's a vision for leaders. And so as we lead, uh, we need some things that we can grab hold of, that we can uh, use in our leadership. And uh, the things that we've been talking about, uh, there's a, an eight-step plan here. And the, the first one is to prepare for the vision. We have to be prepared personally to receive the vision that God has for us. We also need to define the vision and sit with it and pray over it and let God speak to us about what that vision looks like. And, and third, we need to plant the vision and, and putting that in the hearts of other people around us that are going to help us accomplish that vision. And today I want to share with you about sharing the vision. And, and um, I know this is, um, if you want to go back and check in the archives on our website and find those other uh, sermons relating to that, I think it will be beneficial. Uh, but, you know, we, we've gotten to the point where we've prayed through the vision um, we see that God is at work and that he's doing something. And now it comes time to share the vision with others. Um, and it's time to begin strategically doing that, sharing the vision, I want to say, with the rest of the church. Okay? And um, I'll catch us up here in, in just a little bit. You know, Nehemiah had only shared his vision with a few people. If you look in chapter 2 of the book of Nehemiah in your scripture... And uh, open it up to chapter 2 and look at verse 16. It says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. In other words, he's told a select group of people about what the vision is that God has given him. And and uh, so far, only three groups of leaders uh and I want to say within the church, uh, know of your vision. Um, the power brokers, they are the ones that, uh, the decision makers, the ones whose approval you need. Nehemiah needed the king's permission. And so he went to him and shared his vision with the power broker, the king. And then also those whose help you will need uh, to accomplish that task. And so Nehemiah has shared with them. And the, I, I mentioned last week that he had just a, a, a vision team around him, a group of, of a few people that he shared the vision with. And, and now comes the time to share the vision with two other groups of people. And the, the next thing he did was he shared his vision that God had given him with the remaining leaders of that in that area, with the remaining leaders. It's time to get the rest of the leadership on board, if you will. And before the vision is shared with the church, uh, the rest of the people, uh, all of the leadership is, is, is getting on board, and he's sharing that with them. And so I think that's huge because a lot of times we want to share things uh, before we have everybody on board with them. And uh, maybe it's not time yet. 
Um, and so the thing is, is we need to get everybody on board, all the leaders on board. And you kind of have to read between the lines. I don't say that with scripture very often. But something happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Between chapter 2, we end up that he shared the vision with just a few people. And then in chapter 3, all the people show up to work. And so at some point, he got everybody else on board as well. And, and I think this is huge because, you know, he says that he hadn't shared his vision in, in verse 16. And then in chapter 3, he begins to list the priests and the officials and the leaders and the nobles who are working on the wall. And, and, and so what happened in between there? We don't have that written down. He didn't put that in his diary. He didn't put that in this, this book. Um, but he did share the vision with the remaining people who would do the work, the, the, the entire church body, if you will. And so the success of any vision comes down to this issue. Will the majority of our people get behind it? Will the majority of our people get behind the vision that God has given? And I I think that's huge because a lot of times, you know, the easiest way to tell if you are a leader is to look behind you and see if anybody is following. Because if they're not following us, we're just kind of going for a walk. And so we need, to, we need to be able to look behind us and see if we have any followers. And I would say now is the time in your leadership and in mine to see if we're leading or if we're just going for a walk. Because I would submit to you that many of us have just been going for a walk. It's kind of easy to press the pause button when we're sheltering in. It's kind of easy to press the pause button when we're uncertain about things. But folks, when things are uncertain, that's when leaders step forward. That's when they take care of business. That's when they do what is needed, is when things are uncertain, when times are difficult. You know, as you read through chapter 3 of Nehemiah, you come to an astonishing uh, realization. And that is this, the majority of the people there in Jerusalem are working on this wall. The majority of the people are working on this wall. God gave the vision to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah gave the vision to the people, and he successfully passed the baton of vision. You see, vision is both caught and taught. So it must be shared in multiple ways. And I want to just encourage you with this. Ways to share vision include preaching, sharing that with other people, laying it out there, It might be faith stories that we hear. You might share something that God is doing in your life with somebody else. And so that that vision that God has given you is is passed on. Um, Might be through conferences. I want to say books or CDs or maybe even one-on-one just sharing what God is, is doing. And then living it out in your own life. And that's probably the largest. Is just being able to live it out in your own life. Before we jump in, I've got a little bit more background I want to share. But before we jump in, I just want to pause right here and ask God to bless this time together. Loving Father, this is your word. And Father, you have placed it in our hands so that we can be encouraged, so that we can grow from it, so that we can benefit And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would speak to our hearts, that would would open us up, and, and, Father, that you would discern where we are truly at.
Father, in our walk with You, in our, in our fellowship, in, in following the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that You would help us as, as leaders, that You would just continue to, to pour Your vision into us. Father, that we could lead others. Father, that I pray for an outpouring of Your Holy Spirit in this place for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, I think it's, uh, it, it's funny because people sometimes like to hear their name mentioned in a positive way. I mean, don't you? You know, when somebody says something and it's a positive thing, it's kind of like, yeah, that's great. I like that. And our text today is basically a list of people who achieved a bunch of things and some great things for the Lord. And alongside the medal winners, there are a few who are listed that never joined the team. And uh, it's really to their shame, if you will. Um, and it's interesting that Nehemiah wasn't mentioned at all. Of course, he's probably the one writing this. So he doesn't mention himself. Maybe he just doesn't want the credit, but he's pushing other people to the forefront. Now, at first glance, Nehemiah chapter 3 appears to be very dry. It's not something that you just want to sit down and, 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 and plow through. Um, one commentator refers to it as a colorless memorandum of assignments. You know, you're getting the wall assignments of where you're going to work on the wall. And so it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you, you see a lot of people's names who are hard to pronounce. You see a lot of things that don't really, um, you, you wonder, it's like, why is it in the Bible? It kind of reminds us of First Chronicles uh, with long lists of names you can't produce, information that seems redundant, and a chronology that seems meaningless. But while it's tempting to skip this chapter, I want to point out a few things that make it very worthwhile in reading in God's Word. Um, just briefly, let me let me set the historical context. If you missed the last couple of weeks, in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian uh, army they captured the Jews. They uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls of the city were knocked down, and the temple, the temple in Jerusalem was burned. The people were deported. They were taken out of Jerusalem. They were forced into slavery, and Jerusalem was left in ruins. But God, but God, but God did not forsake his people. God did not forsake his people. He moved the king to make a decree to let some of the Jews return. And in three stages over a period of about a hundred years, they were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem only to discover that the city was still demolished. It was still in ruins and no one had done anything to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the city. It was still in ruins after a hundred years. And by way of review, through Nehemiah's prayer, we, we read this in chapter one, we learned that he was concerned about the problem of Jerusalem's desolation. He also had a conviction about God's character. He confessed his sins and the sins of his, his fathers and those that, that, in his nation. And he was confident about God's promises. And I want to say he was committed to get involved. That's what it takes. It takes commitment to get involved. See, two weeks ago we journeyed with Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. 
And uh, it was there that we discovered as a contractor, he had five tools in his toolbox. You remember these? Waiting, trusting, praying, planning, and testifying. He used all five of those tools in, in accomplishing uh, the goal and the vision that God had for him. Two quick preliminary things I want to say before we dive into chapter 3. Chapter 3 reveals Nehemiah's extraordinary gift of administration and organization. I mean, we, when we read this, he was able to mobilize and empower 44 separate groups of people for the ingenious task of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And this came about because of a successful and careful ex- assessment of the need during his moonlight reconnaissance mission in verses 13 through 16 in chapter 2. This passage also shows how people working together can accomplish more than if one person just tried to do it all, to do all the work. So if you have your scripture, open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. Notice, notice in your Bible every time you see the following phrase. After him or after them, or next to him, or next to them. Because those phrases are used in this chapter 28 times in 32 verses. 28 times in 32 verses, Nehemiah is saying, okay, this guy was working here, and next to him was this guy. And after them were this guy. And next to him was this guy. And next to them were these people. And next to them was this family. And so he's talking about who was working side by side on the wall. We need to get that. Because we like to work individually most of the time. We like to work by ourselves and just tell me what needs done and I'll do it. But they're working side by side on this project. And I think that's huge. The biblical principle is this. Every person is to be involved in ministry because everyone has a job to do. Each of us has a job to do. My job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. See, it's not the pastor's job to do all of the ministry. We need to understand that. Each of us has a part in the ministry of Memorial Baptist Church. It's who we are. It's what we do. We have a part in that. And we are all to be involved in that. And some of you are doing exactly what you need to be doing, both in your career and in your kingdom work, both in your retirement and in your kingdom work. Others of you are struggling to find your niche. Well, what is it that I'm supposed to do? You know, when it comes to the work of the Lord, there's no place for sitting on the couch and watching the awards ceremonies. See, as we will see in this chapter, the wall workers accomplished an incredible task. And in the process, they smashed a world record for teamwork. I think that's huge. They were working together as a team. See, Nehemiah, he was able to build his team around a central rallying point. He pointed them to the purpose of the work. And the purpose of the work was to glorify God. To glorify God. This is important. Because they weren't just working on walls. They were worshiping their worthy God. 
What they were doing was they were worshiping God with their hands, with bricks and mortar, with how they were rebuilding things. They were worshiping God with all their being. It says that, that they went, they put their heart into the work. I love that. And you see the workers, they were, they were bummed. I want to say they were depressed, probably, about the conditions of the city. And the disgrace in the presence of their enemies. Have you been depressed lately about our nation? You feel like we're disgracing ourselves with the way people are acting and the things that are going on? See, it was difficult for these Jews to sing out the truth of Psalm 48 verse 2. When their city was in disarray, when their city was desolate and in destruction, it was difficult for them to sing out this psalm which describes Jerusalem as beautiful in its elevation, in its loftiness. The joy of the whole earth. Man, when something is in ruins, when something is broken, when something doesn't work, it's hard to sing that song. How beautiful. What a joy. See, they longed for God's city to regain its splendor. They longed for God to get the credit. That's our problem. We want the credit. Because we're a proudful people. See, the purpose of all ministry, and really of life itself, is the glory of God. To bring God glory. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it succinctly. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. I know I'm finally going to get to my, my thing here. I said I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So just bear with me. It's the Word of God. It's the truth. I want to point out several things in this passage, in this chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You can read the whole chapter. I'm going to read select verses out of the chapter. But uh, take a look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it. And hung its doors, they consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. Hananel. See, it's no accident that the list starts here of where they began to work on the wall. It's another way of Nehemiah saying, put God first. Put God first. If we're talking about a vision for leaders, then we need to understand we have to put God first. We have to put God first in our home. We have to put God first in our marriage. We have to put God first in our work. We have to put God first in our church. We have to put Him first wherever we are. That's what he's saying here. I love this. Close to the wall's northeast corner. This gate. It provided access. Easy access to the temple. It was the, the shortest route to the temple. And it was called the sheep gate because that's where the sheep that they brought in to sacrifice for the sins of the people. That's where they came in at. And they wanted to consecrate that place first so that they could begin worshiping as a people. 
I think this is huge because all of the sheep entered through there and that's where they were sacrificed. And by beginning there, Nehemiah is establishing what their relationship with God is going to look like. Oh, Have we established that? Have you established that? What your relationship with God is going to look like. That it's central, that it's it's first in your life. This is the most important place to start. And they had a time of dedication right at the beginning when they began to work on the wall. They they, they got the, the, the high priest and he built the sheep gate. And they began consecrating it and dedicating it to the Lord. So that God would bless the rest of their effort. Oh, we think we can treat God any way we want. That we can give Him a tip rather than a tithe. That we don't want Him to have first place. We don't recognize Him because I'm sitting on the throne. But you see, Nehemiah showed them, they, the, 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 the priests got up and they began to rebuild the wall at the sheep gate. We must make sure that we are dedicated to God before we begin working for Him. This is important. It's critical. Don't make the mistake of focusing so much on the work or the task that you forget God Himself. He's not impressed with your labors. He spoke the entire world into being. And you got to use your hands. He's not impressed by our labors. What he wants is your heart. He desires your heart. And that's why worship must always precede our work. I mean, have you settled that question? Are you sold out to God? Completely committed, totally devoted to him? If you are, then you need to get ready to work. And if you're not, then you need to keep the main thing, the main thing. As set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's where it begins. Setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Now, if you've already read the book of Nehemiah, you know the final results. The wall was built in a world record 52 days. In 52 days, this huge wall around the city of Jerusalem was put back in place. 52 days. And as we dive into this, we're going to see some things that I hope that you will write these down because they're important. I see six principles from this chapter that will help us as we work well with others. The first one is this, is that leaders must set the example. Leaders must set the example. That's what we see in, in verse 1. If anybody in the city should have been busy in the work, it was the priest, especially the high priest. For God's reputation was what was at stake. The high priest had no hesitation using his consecrated hands to swing a hammer or to push a wheelbarrow. See, I take this seriously. My joyful responsibility to be involved in the work of the ministry. I don't have a problem getting my hands dirty. I have no problem getting my hands dirty in ministry. 
I want to be a part of that. I want to work side by side with others. See, I want to submit to you this. Our leaders have been. They've been involved. They've been uh, leading by example. And they will continue to set the pace here at Memorial. I'm not saying this just because... um, They're not going to do it just because I say so. But they're going to be completely on board. Because they believe in God's kingdom work here. And in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not because I'm telling you that they're going to be on board. They're on board because they desire to be on board. Because they've consecrated their hearts to the Lord. And they believe in the work that we're doing. See, I love that. I mean, it's sad to say, Eliashib, he did not remain true to his calling. And later, he partnered with the enemy to create a serious problem for Nehemiah. But this serves as a good reminder to us. It's not as important how we begin a project as to how we finish the project. That's what counts. I mean, some people who enthusiastically begin a job or a ministry, they may drop out or even turn against it for one reason or another. But leaders must set the example. Number two, God uses all kinds of people. I love this chapter. Take a look at verse 8. It says, Next to him, Uzziel, the son of uh, Harhaiah, Harhaiah, of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Folks, the Lord didn't need a thousand masons and carpenters to rebuild the wall. What he needed was ordinary people who would be willing to work. (laughs) That means I got a shot. That means you got a shot. He needs ordinary people who are willing to work. People from a wide variety of different backgrounds, different trades, different localities gathered to work on the wall. And the rulers and the priests, they worked together with other people Some who even lived 10 to 15 miles away came to work on the wall. And they didn't just jump in their car and go. They probably walked to get to the job site. See, there was a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do. See, that's the beautiful part of gift-based ministry. This bedrock truth is based on the belief that God has gifted each member of the body, each one, in a special way that brings something that no one else brings to the table. So that as we put our gifts together, we will be fruitful, we will be fulfilled, and the church will be fortified. That's the beautiful thing about using our gifts, and God gives each of us a gift to use. You know, one of the key words in this chapter as well is the word section. (laughs) It's used 13 times in this passage. The wall was divided up into sections and people were assigned a certain section to work on. And likewise, just as no person could construct the whole wall by themselves, you and I are called to work in a certain part of the kingdom. I mean, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Grace given us. And so I ask the question, are you serving 
in your area of giftedness right now? In the area that God has gifted you in, are you serving in that area? If not, it's time for you to jump in. Thirdly, I would say this. Some people will not work. (laughs) Having said there's a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do, there will always be those who refuse to exert themselves. Most of the people worked. But some shirk their responsibility. Look at verse 5. It says, Moreover, next to him, the Tychoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Hmm. This section of the wall was repaired by the Tychoites. And... Their people, their nobles, the the people, the, the princes would not put their shoulders to the work. They would not submit themselves to the supervisors. Now, Tekoa was a, a town about 11 miles from Jerusalem. And while some of the people commuted to the job site, the nobles of Tekoa, they didn't want any part of it. Actually, the text says they refused to participate in the work of God because they didn't want to follow orders. <laughs> Oh, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. Ah, oh, you can have your wall. I'm just not going to work on it. Because I don't want to be involved in that. See, they were too proud to submit themselves to the supervisors of the job. They were too important to get their hands dirty. See, when I read this, this phrase, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. The phrase did not support literally means... They did not bring their neck to it. And it suggests that there was more pride than anything that kept them from doing the work, from pitching in. Nehemiah is using an agricultural imagery here. And he he describes a stiff-necked ox that will not be yoked. In other words, I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. I refuse to be yoked. Anyone here refuse to roll up your sleeves and get to work? I mean, that's what these guys are famous for. They wouldn't do it. Maybe we're feeling like we're too important to spend time with somebody who's hurting. Or maybe to serve others. Spend time with offering up a prayer. You know, Jeremiah 48.10 has a stinging rebuke for those of us who want to sit back with our arms crossed and do nothing. It says, a curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I can't think of anything more rewarding than being involved in God's kingdom work. I guarantee you, If I found something more rewarding than what I'm doing now, I would go do it. I love being a part of God's kingdom work. Tracy and I love giving our tithe at Memorial because we know what the money is going for. We know what that gift goes to. And we love serving because we believe it brings about kingdom impact. Some of the happiest Christians I know are those who are serving in their area of giftedness. But I've seen the opposite of that also be true. Some of the grumpiest people that I know aren't serving anywhere. 
They're sitting, they're soaking, and they're souring. Fourthly, I want to say this. i got to move quickly. Some people do more work. You have some that don't do any work, but you have some that do more work. You know, in every church and in every project, there are always going to be some who are slacking in their service. And at the same time, there will always be those who do more work than others. Now, we talked about these guys from Tekoa, the Tekoaites, okay? If you scan down to verse 27 in this same chapter, you, you get this picture. It says, after them, the Tekoaites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. <laughs> so refusing to follow the bad example of their nobles, they not only did the wall that they were assigned to do, they also went the extra mile. <laughs> I picture them coming up to Nehemiah after they uh, and telling him, well, we just finished the job over there. And Nehemiah asked them if they wanted another section. And they said, bring it on, man. Bring it on. We're hitting a groove right now. We got it going on. We can figure this out. Man, don't you, don't you know how encouraging that was to Nehemiah when people not only finished the task that they were given, but also wanted more? Give me something else to do. What else do you want me to do? I mean, wow, what a huge blessing. No wonder they got the wall done in 52 weeks. 52 days, excuse me. But the men of uh, Benui, they did the same thing. If you read in uh, verse uh, 18 of chapter 2 and also 24. So friends, as long as there's work to be done in God's kingdom, there's work for you to do. But I recall our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 24, excuse me, 47. Jesus addresses each one of us when he asks a very good question. He says, what are you doing more than others. If you greet your brother because he's your brother, what are you doing more than others? In others, what, what are you doing for that extra mile? What are you doing above and beyond? What are you doing more than what everybody else is doing? I mean, that's what Jesus asks us. Matthew 5, 47. What are you doing this day more than others. Fifthly, I would say, some people work with passion. I love this one. In this entire chapter, there's only one guy that's mentioned that says he worked zealously. Look at verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 20. It says, After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. The word in Hebrew there means to burn or to glow. And it suggests that Baruch burned a lot of energy. He was not just serving. Baruch was on fire. He was zealously working. He was, he was getting after it. He was, he was doing it brick by brick. And he was, he was outworking, if you will, those around him. All of them put their heart into the work. But Baruch was working zealously. He was on fire. I love that. Everyone was working hard, but he stands out above the crowd because he's on fire. Folks, we need people like him, like Baruch, 
To say, I don't really care what the others are doing. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to give my all. When I walk away, I want to say, I gave it all. Right there. I put it all on the line. I mean, anyone else here want to be like Baruch this morning? Are you willing to go the extra mile? Are you willing to burn with zeal and passion in your service to the Lord? Are you ready to get fired up? I think we should kick it up a notch. I mean, that's my, that's my thing. That accelerator on the right-hand side of the, 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 the car floorboard. You need to, the thing on the right, you need to push it to the metal. Push it down and get after it. See, that's what our world is waiting for. The church to stand up and to be counted where men will, will honor God and they will do the right thing. Where women come alongside their men and they do the right thing. And we as the people of God stand up and work zealously for our Lord. Number six, some people work as families. This has been my experience in our mission trips, seeing families go and serve on the mission field. This final principle from this passage is that some of the people worked as families. They either worked in a section in front of their home or on another section from their neighborhood. At least six different workers plus an unknown number of priests repaired the portions of the wall that were directly closest to their home. I mean, think about that. If all of us did that, if all of us worked in the area that is close to where we live, we'd be making a difference. Look at your neighbors, those that live close to your house. Look at them as your mission field. Befriend them, serve them, pray for them. And I want to challenge you this morning to identify five neighbors that live near you and then commit to do three things for them. To pray for them, to care for them, and to share with them. To pray for them, to care for them, and to share with them. See, as you pray for them, God will give you opportunities for you to care for their needs. And as you care for their needs, it's going to open up avenues for you to share the good news with them. See, we're called to start at home, but we're not supposed to stay there. See, as families, we have the opportunity to be used in our neighborhoods and in our community instead of just looking at what you can do as an individual work as a family see how you can include your entire family in the joyful task of kingdom building see as a church we're committed to make an impact in our city and in our county and in our country and in our continents but it first begins at home you know in John 15:16 I'll be wrapping this up in just a little bit. I said I got a long way to go. Just bear with me. In John 15, 16, Jesus told his disciples that he appointed them to go and bear fruit. And the word appointed means that they were strategically placed them. And the key truth that emerges in this is God has placed each of us strategically where he wants us to be. It's no accident that you're here this morning. 
It's no accident that you live where you, you, you live now. It is no accident because God is the one who is strategically placing us where we need to be so that we can complete those divine appointments. I'm almost done. Sometimes serving means doing what you don't want to do. Sometimes serving means doing what you're not equipped to do. You know, when you look at this story, you see priests, you see perfumers, you see goldsmiths, you see men and women rebuilding the wall who probably didn't have training in this area, but they were willing to serve God. Often the church is focused on spiritual gifts and how we need to make sure we're using our, our, our gifts and our serving. But God often calls us to do things that we're not equipped for and maybe things we don't want to do. In fact, there's one person here I want to point out. He was building... <laughs> he served in the building of the refuse gate. Some scripture translations call it the dung gate. The dung gate. Verse 14 says, Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. See, the dung gate was the place where excrements were taken to be discarded. No doubt, Malkijah probably had a stinging aroma in his nostrils that he could smell while he was working. Now, I'm certain that the Jews in that area would have wondered, why would the leader of this district, why would the official, could he not have used his position to gotten a, to, to receiving a better job or, or to gotten a better ministry? Why didn't he use his leverage to do that? <laughs> a district leader. Now, I can just imagine as Nehemiah, he's got the people lined up there. He's handing out assignments. And he says, okay, the dung gate, the dung gate. And just like now, I would imagine silence fell on the people. They're probably standing there in line going, oh, come on, Joel, step up. Somebody, Randall, step up. The dung gate. And then what happens? Malchai just says, Nehemiah, I'll do it. What did I say earlier? Leaders must lead by example. He was leading by example. He took a job no one else wanted. But it's like, God doesn't always call us to do something that we enjoy. Many times He just says, who would like to serve me? Who will go for me? Who would like to get involved with what I'm doing? And we have the opportunity to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, the believer says, I'll do it. And then God equips them to do the work. You know, I cannot help but think that this type of service is many times... A sweeter offering to Him. Taking something that nobody else wants to do. 
See, if God's work is going to get done, we're called to cooperate with one another. Not to compare, not to criticize, but we have to keep the main thing the main thing by never forgetting that we're working for God's glory and it's His glory that's at stake. Remember that nothing has ever been done for God without hard work. Without men and women stepping up and doing the hard thing. Because this job is much bigger. It's a much bigger task than any of us could do. And we need to recognize that leaders must set the example. Some people will not work. Some people will do more work. Some people will work with a passion. And some people will work as families. So I ask you this question just in wrapping this up. Memorial, where are you spiritually right now? It's easy for us to get depressed watching the news. It's easy for us to get bummed out about our nation and the things that that go on and, and where we are and how divided we are. We need unity today more than ever. We need the believers in Jesus Christ to wrap their arms around brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what color they are, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're from, for the glory of our King. Because that's what they're waiting to see. So I say, where are you spiritually, Memorial? Do you not see the condition of the walls? Is there not a cause that only God can fix? Nehemiah had a conviction about God's holy character. He confessed his sin and the sins of his people. He had confidence in God's promises. And he made a commitment to get involved in God's work. See, I believe, brothers and sisters, I believe it's time to rebuild. I I believe that it's time for us to build moving forward. When we have the courage and the humility to admit that we've messed things up and to become concerned enough about the way we've been living that we confess our sins, we know that God will do His rebuilding work because He's promised to do it. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank You for this time and I thank You for Your Word and I thank You for the book of Nehemiah that gives us clear vision. Father, I'm thankful for these that worked on the wall. I'm thankful for their example. An example that we too can follow. And Father, the the wall that we might be rebuilding may be between people in our nation. Father, it may be in our marriages, it may be in our homes, it may be in our relationships. It may be in our relationship with You, Father. Lord, we have rebelled against You. We are a sinful people who live among a sinful people. And God, I pray that You would forgive us our sins. I pray, Father, that You would forgive us as a nation. I pray, Father, that You would forgive us as a people. 
I pray, Father, that you would forgive us as individuals. Father, I pray that this today you would bring about a great revival in our souls. Father, that we would want to be reconciled first with you. Father, that we would want to be reconciled with our spouses. Father, that we would want to be reconciled in our relationships. Father, that we would want to be reconciled all across this land. Father, that, that we would be reconciled with the people that we live among. Father, only you could bring that about. Father, but I want you to know that, Father, I am willing to do your will and to begin the process of rebuilding. Father, I pray that your will would be done among your people. Father, I pray for no less than a great repentance to fall upon the believers in this country. Father, those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for a great repentance. Lord, we ask that you would do this by your Holy Spirit, by your power, by your might. And most of all, Father, for your glory. I pray, Father, that you would move our hearts where you want us to be. Father, give us the courage, give us the humility to bow before you and to be willing to be willing to do the work. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us. Guide us as we continue to seek you in Jesus' name. Amen.